Hey, welcome to the fifth session of our overview of the New Testament. I'm Kevin McMillan and from Mile 2 Church. And uh, the last two sessions, if you've been with us, we were looking at the Gospels. So we're starting at the beginning of the New Testament. And so today we're going to pick up where we left off and we're going to look at the book of Acts. And of course, at the same time, we're going to be looking at the history of the early church as well. So, really, the birth of the church was on the day of Pentecost. We read about this in Acts chapter 2, when all of the disciples were together in, in the upper room, as we heard, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They all started to prophesy and speak with tongues, and really what happened more than anything is they were transformed. When you read about the disciples at the end of the Gospels, and even in the first chapter of the book of Acts, you can't say they were the boldest of men and women, but boy, when Acts chapter 2 came, everything changed. And so this was really the institution of the church. And immediately, as I say, they started prophesying, they started talking about Jesus, uh, the resurrection of Christ, about his teaching, and the miracles that were done by their hands corroborated their story. They actually added uh, a great deal of weight to what they were saying because the people could see, oh my gosh, God is with these people. And the church exploded. Just in the first few days, thousands and thousands and thousands were added to this young movement, the church. Now, the early church went to the temple regularly because, of course, they didn't have churches like we do today to meet in. And so, initially, they started meeting in the temple because that was their custom and they just continued on with their custom. But soon, of course, they also started meeting in homes and we can read about that a little bit later. The earlier... Uh, the early Jewish Christians were called, they called themselves, and they were called the Way. We read about that in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, or Acts chapter 19, verse 9. And uh, they were actually regarded as a sect of Judaism. And they regarded themselves as Jews. I mean, they didn't suddenly think, oh, here's a whole brand new religion, because they were Jews. That's how they grew up. Jesus was a Jew, and he brought this new way of thinking and this new way of relating to God to them. So they just saw it really as, any, as much as anything, a completion of Judaism, the fulfillment of Judaism. So they saw themselves as Jews and the surrounding culture also saw them as Jews as well. And this is important because you may remember uh, from our session's second session where we talked about uh, the Roman Empire and the historical and cultural religious setting that uh, the disciples and Jesus were in, the Roman culture had a strong mythology, Roman and Greek mythology, uh, and so worshipping the Roman gods and in fact worshipping the Roman emperor were part of uh, the necessity of being a Roman citizen. It was a requirement. But for some reason, the Romans had granted the Jews an, ex an exemption from this. They saw them, or they at least said, that they were a legitimate religion, and so they didn't have to participate in all of this uh, other worship, whether it be of the emperor or at temples of the, the gods that they said they believed in. And since Christianity was seen as simply a sect of Judaism, that exemption was granted to them as well. So that was a huge blessing for them. Uh, of course, that all changed in a few decades, as we'll hear about in a little while. So, the young church. As this young church grew, 
because they had so many people coming together, thousands and thousands of people, a structure had to develop, and inevitably a structure did develop. One of the uh, milestones in this we read about in Acts chapter 6, where the first deacons, we call them deacons, those who did, did some of the practical service in the church, uh, they were uh, commissioned, I guess, by the apostles. The apostles said, we have to give ourselves to prayer, we have to give ourselves to preaching the word. Uh, and, and so there was so much of just legwork to be done that they commissioned several uh, people to, to do that. Men, they're filled with the Holy Spirit of good reputation. It wasn't just anybody. It wasn't just gifts or talents or availability. It was godly people that they got to do this. And so right away we start to see a structure develop. Some of us can get a bit antsy when we hear about structure, but anytime you get a group of people together, there has to be some sort of structure if you're going to accomplish something. And of course, the church had a huge mission to accomplish, and so this was necessary. Now, the church remained almost exclusively Jewish, i.e. there were very few Gentiles in the church, for about the first 10 years. Now, we can look back and we can see that Jesus had told them that this was going to be for the whole earth and it's going to go out everywhere. It was prophesied in the Old Testament when Zacharias prophesied over John the Baptist, we read about in the first gospel of, or excuse me, the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's for everyone. It's not just for Jews, it's for everyone. However, <clears throat> that took a little while to take effect, about 10 years as a matter of fact. But this all changed in Acts chapter 10. We read about Peter going to Cornelius' house and how he preached the gospel uh, to Cornelius and his entire household. But this was a radical step for the Jews. The reason it took this long is because for hundreds and hundreds of years, Judaism was sort of an insular religion, if you want to put it that way. They, they weren't trying to evangelize. They weren't trying to reach the world. They were just trying to stay faithful to God, and they were trying to keep the world out. That was their, I won't say their whole uh, MO, but that was a very important part of the culture and the religion, is they, had to, they wanted to keep it pure. And so suddenly now, they're told to forget that and now break out and go out everywhere, go out into Gentile homes. And so Peter was given this vision we read about, and he denied God. He refused God. He told God twice, no, I can't do that. It's wrong. Finally, God got his attention and said, go, I am commanding you to go and speak to these people. And one phrase there, do not call unclean what I have called clean. That's a very significant phrase. And so finally, Peter did this, and he preached the gospel to these Gentiles, non-Jews, and he was shocked to see that the Holy Spirit filled all of them, and they began to prophesy, and they began to speak in tongues too. Obviously, they were saved. Obviously, Jesus' salvation wasn't just for Jews, it was for the Gentiles. This was a huge change in the church. And so for them, they now saw, okay, this is not just a matter of isolation, this is a matter of getting it out. Quite the opposite, we now need to inf infiltrate everywhere we can go. And so the church began to expand hugely, and so the Gentile church began to expand. So up until this point, it was almost entirely Jews. And now the Gentiles were starting to come in. The Jewish end of the church also started expanding because there were Jews all over the Roman Empire. So as the church expanded throughout the Roman Empire, both Gentiles and Jews came into the church. 
By the way, one of the reasons the church was able to expand so quickly was because of uh, one aspect of the Roman Empire that really helped this. It was what we call the Pax Romana, which is Latin for the Roman peace. It was a military dictatorship, it was brutal, but it was really well controlled. And the whole aspect of criminals and criminal law was very significant. And any criminals were dealt with quite harshly. And so actually there was a great deal of law and order in the Roman uh, society and culture. And so travel was safe. Up until that point, travel wasn't very safe because bandits weren't really dealt with very severely or harshly. But that changed with, uh, with the Roman Empire. As well, the Romans are known for their fabulous engineering and building roads. You know the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? Well, that's because they built thousands and thousands of kilometers of really good roads. So now, transportation was safe. Transportation was also quite easy as well. Some of the Roman roads still exist today, 2,000 years later. That says something about their engineering. Now, let's talk about the Gentile church a little bit. As it uh, expanded to include more and more Gentiles, what happened is the church gradually saw itself as separating from Judaism. They didn't see this at the beginning. They saw this as uh, uh, something that was happening within Judaism, but soon they started to see there had to be a separation, a little bit like in the Reformation. When Martin Luther was hoping to reform the church, the Catholic church, but eventually what happened is the Protestant church split off. And in the early church, the same kind of thing happened. The church was seen as diverging more and more uh, from Judaism. Really, the church offered a whole new view of humanity uh, and social structure. What, what is this human creature? How are we to deal with one another? And uh, really, we were to honor everyone. This is, this is what we read about in the epistles. This is what Jesus said. And in particular, what was very significant is honoring women and honoring slaves. Because at that point, really, women and slaves were seen more than anything as property, as chattel. But now Jesus raised women up to be equal with men. And Paul, in his writings, raised women up to be equal with men before God. Yes, there was structure, there, was, there were roles and that kind of thing. But before God, there was no distinction, as Paul said, between male and female. One of the other uh, ethics of Christianity was helping one another, that really this was integral to the Christian faith, is we are here for one another because we're a body, as we'll be, we'll be hearing about in some of our future episodes. We're a body and we're joined together. We need to help one another. Again, that wasn't necessarily part of uh, ancient civilizations, but it became a very, very important part of the Christian religion and the culture that sprang from it. Another interesting aspect of the church is it included people from all classes. The Roman culture was very much a class system, the upper class, the fairly upper class, the middle class, the lower class, and the slaves. And if you were a slave, you had no hope of moving up. If you were middle class, you had no hope of going anywhere. Very much like some uh, systems, uh, class systems in cultures today. Very little movement from one class to the next. And yet the church infiltrated every class. Fascinating. We read about slaves coming in. Uh, we read about those in the epistles. We read in the epistles uh, how many people from the upper class were now receiving the gospel. The gospel was going 
everywhere. So very, very significant development, not just in the history of the church, but in the history of the world because it actually transformed the world very significantly. Now, you know this if you've read through the book of Acts and if you know much church history, Paul made missionary voyages. He made three missionary trips that we know of. Uh, happened between about 48 AD and 57 AD. And in these trips, he took many people with him. He established churches. He would go into a, a community. He would preach. People would come to know the Lord uh, and they would establish a a church, an ecclesia, an assembly of people together. And then once they got that established, he would probably leave some people behind that he'd brought with him, and then he would move on to another town and do the same thing. So many of these churches were established at this time, and then he would go back again and strengthen the churches. One really important event that we read about that's, that we do need to talk about in the book of Acts is uh, the Council of Jerusalem that we read about in Acts chapter 15. This happened in 49 AD. That's, this is one thing that we actually can pinpoint the date of, AD 49. There was quite a controversy in the church about the Gentiles coming into the church because it's, it's Jewish. It, it came from the Jews. Jesus even said salvation comes from the Jews, and so they, the Jews held on to this vociferously. This is a Jewish thing. And so the, many Jewish people were saying, well, for people to become Christians, they have to become Jews. And to do that, of course, there are certain rituals and rites that you have to go through and follow to be a Jew. One of the main ones was circumcision. So there are many teachers saying, if you want to become a Christian, you have to be circumcised. But then there were others, like Paul and Peter, who said, uh, no, that's not the way God works. We've seen God get involved in the lives of people who are not Christians. And Paul's revelation of Christianity was really against that completely. And so this came to a head in 49 AD. And so all of the major leaders of Christianity came together to talk about it. And as they all made their presentations, finally James who was the brother of Jesus, the pastor in the church in Jerusalem, came to this verdict and they wrote a letter and they sent it out to all of the churches. And this is what they said. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. Okay, well, one was about sexual immorality and the rest more had to do with the Jewish code and in particular, the kosher code about eating. But what was most significant wasn't what they had to do, but what they didn't have to do because there were hundreds of regulations and rituals that Jews had to follow to be Jewish. And what they're saying here is those are no longer part of our relationship with God, but these are some things that we need to hang on to. And this council, by the way, the, the issue of food probably was in much as anything a concession to the Jews that were part of the church, uh, but also the whole concept of idolatry is a very significant part of Christianity as it was of Judaism. Now, this council that we read about helps us understand the importance of church leadership. 
because someone had to come to this conclusion. And it also helped set a precedent for a council, not just one guy going off on his own and saying, this is what God said, but people coming together and using their collective experience as well as their relationship and their understanding, uh, their relationship with God and their understanding of the things of God and coming together and governing by consensus. This was a very important point, again, not just in the church, but actually in all of human history. Because while there had been a form of democracy in Rome and in Greece, it was only a form of democracy. And this actually paved the way for the democratic freedoms that we enjoy in our nation today. Now, around this time, as well as visiting churches, Paul also began writing letters to the churches. And uh, we don't have all of them, because we know of some that he wrote that he, re he references in the letters that we have in the New Testament. We don't have record of them. We don't know what they said. But we do have 13 of them. Some of them f were for uh, correcting false doctrine. For instance, Galatians is a great example of that, as is the book of Colossians. Some of them were for encouragement. Uh, if you read the book of Philippians, very encouraging. It's a warm kind of happy, joyful letter. And 1 Thessalonians is also a very encouraging letter. But one way or another, all of them were for instruction, to help people understand more about God, what He has done for us, the magnificent thing that God did for us through Christ and salvation, and then how we can respond well for that. Now, around this time, in the, in the 50s, the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were written, as well as most of the general epistles. The epistles written by Paul we call the Pauline epistles, for obvious reasons. Uh, the others are called the general epistles. Uh, these also would have been uh, written around this time, in the late 40s maybe, or into the 50s and early 60s. At this time also, the church continued to meet in homes, because it was starting to be not really well received in the Roman culture because they were now starting to split off more and more from Judaism. Okay, well, are they Jews or are they not Jews? The Jews were given the exemption. What about these Christians? We don't like what they're doing. And so they were receiving a little bit of persecution, not a lot, but a little bit from the Roman culture. The problem wasn't their faith in Jesus. The problem was that they refused to worship the Roman emperor. Uh, and Claudius was an emperor in the 40s, and Nero came to power in the 50s, and so there were various emperors at this time, and they refused to worship the emperor. And because of this, because they didn't believe in emperor, uh, excuse me, worshiping the emperor, nor did they believe in Zeus and all of the other uh, Greek and Roman gods, they were actually called atheists. The early Christians were called atheists because they didn't believe in all these gods, they just had this one god, which seems kind of ironic now, doesn't it? Now, even though they were meeting in homes, we see a leadership structure continue to develop, and uh, it, it developed even further. Earlier in Acts, we saw the or ordination of deacons. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, we see Paul talking to the elders in the church from Ephesus. And so it also says that he set elders in every church. So an eldership was in place. This would be sort of a spiritual leadership in the church. And again, because we have so many people and because the churches are so spread out, a structure is necessary just to hold things together. Now Paul was arrested uh, and he was eventually sent to Rome to stand before Caesar. He was under house arrest. 
Uh, and yet he could still see people freely. We can read about this in the last couple of, uh, excuse me, the last few verses in the book of Acts, that he had to stay in his place. And as far as we know, he was probably chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day, but he could still have people in. And so he could preach and he could teach and he could write. And so the word of God spread hugely at this time, even though he was in one place. And as he says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 13, even the palace guard, that means the military in the palace in Rome, started receiving the gospel and it started making its way through that. Because, think of it, these Roman guards were chained to him day after day after day. All they heard was the gospel, the gospel, the gospel being preached. It had an impact on them. Faith comes by hearing the word, right? And so the faith spread throughout the entire palace guard. Really, really interesting. And it was likely during this imprisonment, this imprisonment, Paul had been in prison here and there on a few different occasions, but during this one that he would have written uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. So he didn't waste his time. Paul wasn't just trying to get out of prison. Paul was just using his time well. And boy, oh boy, did he ever use it well to write scripture, write the New Testament for us. Now, this is something we can't be sure of, but it is possible that Paul was released, did some more missionary work, and then was rearrested. We, we don't know that. History isn't clear about that, and it doesn't say anything about that in the book of Acts. Uh, but it is entirely possible. Now, Nero came to power. You've probably heard of Emperor Nero. He came to power in 54 AD. He was a brutal, brutal dictator, and he lasted until 68 AD. And it was under his reign that Peter and the Apostle Paul were both executed probably in the early mid-60s, uh, maybe 63, 64, somewhere around there. We're not sure. And here again, more and more Christianity was seen as different from Judaism. It was splitting off. It was being its own institution as separate from Judaism. And so this led to some problems. This came to a head in 64 AD when there was a huge fire. We call it the Great Fire of Rome. A fire broke out and over the next two weeks, it destroyed about half the city of Rome. So a, a huge loss because this was a beautiful city. It was called the Eternal City, a magnificent city and a beautiful city, huge, very influential. Half of it had now been destroyed by fire. Well, Nero decided to blame the Christians. He said it's their fault this happened. They did it. And so at that point, the first organized persecution of religion, uh, of Christian, uh, Christians, I should say, started to take place. Not just organized, but government sanctioned, government ordained. And so this could mean, uh, say, the loss of a job, you, certain jobs you absolutely couldn't have if you identified as a Christian, other public privileges that some Roman citizens enjoyed, everyone enjoyed, again, it was a, it was a, a well-ordered society. Uh, some of these privileges would be revoked if you were found to be a Christian. You could lose your property if you were seen as being a Christian, and of course we also understand you could be put to death uh, if you refused to renounce Christianity. But it's interesting, in the early church, martyrdom was considered an honor. We would think of martyrdom as something we'd want to avoid at all costs, and it's terrible and it's bad. They thought it was great. Now, it's not that they were looking forward to dying, but you see, they saw that Jesus died a martyr's death, they saw themselves as walking in the footsteps of Jesus. So they actually saw it as an honorable thing. And as you look through church history, 
This is common. Uh, you know, we don't face it, and excuse me, we don't face it in our culture and our society a great deal. There are cultures, cultures and societies today, though, where martyrdom happens. And while we don't necessarily celebrate it as, gee, this is the highest and best, people see it as an honor because they are walking in the footsteps of Jesus, giving their lives for the faith. And so, what's really interesting is that during this persecution, starting in the 60s, and it went on and on, and for the next three centuries, on and off, these persecutions uh, went on, and many, many, many Christians were killed, and all sorts of terrible things like that happened, and yet the church grew. The church thrived, even in the midst of persecution. This is one of the things that shows us this really is a work of God because when people try to crush it down, no, it just springs up again uh, in a different way, in different uh, areas, and men could not crush it down. So this is the early church. This is the beginning of the church that you are and I part of today. So. Again, that's the book of Acts in a nutshell, an overview. Uh, again, there are notes that you can download if you would like to take a look at those, get some of the main points from today and something that you can keep for the future. And uh, on our next session, I hope you join us because we're going to be looking at the development of the New Testament, the scriptures. How did they come to be the 27 books that we know today? I think you'll find it very thought-provoking. I think you'll find it very interesting. But thanks for joining me now, and we will see you again soon.